Good morning. There are approximately 7.5 billion people on the earth. And to give you a little bit of perspective, over 7 billion of them do not live in our country. Uh, every second of every day, on average, there are four babies born. Every single second of every day. So are those four births that happen this second, are they ordinary? Are they extraordinary? What about the 7.5 billion lives? Is it even logically feasible to consider that all of them are in some way beyond ordinary? That they're remarkable? You start answering these types of questions by defining the terms. What is extraordinary? What is ordinary? What makes a life extraordinary? What makes a life ordinary? And whether or not you ask those questions in your mind or out loud, we all answer them all the time. It affects the way that we think and feel about our lives. The ordinary things tend to settle us in. They tend to establish us, while the extraordinary things tend to unsettle, dishevel us, and make us feel more uncomfortable. So, for example, uh, if you're traveling for the holidays, you go and stay in a home that's not your own, uh, you might sleep all right, but it's not the same as sleeping in your own bed. And you might have everything that you need, but you don't know where all this stuff is. It isn't your stuff. It's different. Um, on the other side, if you've moved into a new home, uh, you feel this extraordinary circumstances of living out of boxes or you know, having all of your stuff disheveled. Your life doesn't feel normal because you're not settled. And so think about the four babies that are born every second. It might seem ordinary when you look at that statistic, but if you're bringing one of those babies home, especially if it's your firstborn, there's no way that could feel normal to you because it's never been a part of your normal. So ordinary, when you hear that word today, and I'd say for your life when you hear that word, don't think inherently good or bad. And extraordinary isn't inherently better or worse. They're definitely not the same. By nature, they're not the same, but they are connected. And in the story of Jesus' birth, we see how the ordinary nature of our lives and the extraordinary nature of our lives is connected. They're not the same thing, but they are connected. It's one life. The life of Jesus brings the ordinary and the extraordinary together. In Christ, everything that's ordinary to us is connected to what's extraordinary to us. And everything that's extraordinary to us is actually connected to what we would call ordinary. And their purpose is the same. Whether it seems extraordinary or it seems ordinary to you, the purpose is the same. The purpose is to point you to Christ, to bring glory to God in the person of Jesus Christ. So today, I want us to consider the ordinary and extraordinary nature of our lives in four examples that we see in the Christmas story. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20 say, In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, Ju to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger 
because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, which means the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. So lots of other angels appeared with the one angel that came to the shepherds initially. They praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they, when the shepherds had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. So as I mentioned, in this Christmas story, we see four examples of ordinary and extraordinary. And the first example we see in verses 1 through 7. If you just read verses 1 through 7, the account of what, what was happening in the government and how they issued a census and how Mary and Joseph had to go back to Joseph's hometown because of that census and the fact that Mary was pregnant, expecting a child. Uh, there's nothing that comes, jumps off the page as extraordinary there. I mean, uh, I'm no expert on pregnancy, but it doesn't seem likely that this was in their plans, that traveling, uh, and this wasn't just a, a trip down the interstate, but traveling across country, it was about 90 miles uh, for them to make this trip. Traveling wasn't in their plans. This was something that they had to do because the government said they had to do it. It was a hassle. And the baby was born. It doesn't say that it was a pain-free birth. We have every reason to believe this was an ordinary birth. But at the same time, this was not an ordinary birth. This was an extraordinary birth. This was a virgin birth. And even though their, their pilgrimage, their journey was ordinary, it was not just ordinary. It appeared ordinary to them, I'm sure. But it was extraordinary because it fulfilled the promise of God spoken in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in the city of David. The narrator, Luke, says it. The angels say it. It's because it's important. The city of David, the city of David, the city of David. This is extraordinary. And God brought about his extraordinary purposes through the ordinary means of childbirth, and through the ordinary means of the government and issuing a census, which was probably, from everything that I read, a hassle for Mary and Joseph. But Jesus' life is what brings the ordinary and extraordinary together. In Christ, everything that's ordinary is connected to the extraordinary, and everything that's extraordinary to us is connected to the ordinary. Naturally, we don't think of life this way. We think of the upstairs as a spiritual world, the downstairs as the real world. We think of it as a bi-level 
a split-level house. This is how we naturally think of life. So it's nice to think about the Christmas story, angels, Jesus' birth. That's all upstairs. That's Sunday morning stuff. But what about Monday morning, Monday evening stuff? We have to get our Christmas shopping done. We've got long to-do lists to accomplish. The soul. Oh, yeah, that's nice to think about. Uh, In small group, in the body, that's where I live. I have to eat lunch soon. There's people who are called, like they have these special jobs. And then there's most of us, the the 99% of us who are normal folks working a normal job, making a living. There's miraculous healing upstairs. There's medicine and best practices downstairs. There's feelings of spiritual high upstairs. There's feelings of normalcy downstairs. God doesn't describe the world in a two-story life. He describes the world that he created as a one-story life. So there's Bible stories and there's to-do lists. They're not competing. There's miracles and there's medicines. There's spiritual highs, lows, mediums, and everything in between. None of these things are either or. They all coexist in God's world. It's all spiritual. It all matters to God. He's involved in all of it, in all of our lives. That's what the Christmas story shows us. The second example of ordinary and extraordinary is that God did send what were to the shepherds and probably are to most of us extraordinary messengers. That's what angels are. They, they, the word literally means angel or messenger. But did you get the sign that the she- did you pick up on the sign that the shepherds got? It was very ordinary. And shepherds were very ordinary men. So angels appeared to them. They were terrified. The shepherds were because angels are terrifying. Um, but they brought a message from heaven, and here's the sign that the angel said, you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough. That's what a manger was. It's where animals were fed. Very ordinary sign. And then after saying, here's your ordinary sign, they get an extraordinary experience of a whole host, a multitude of angels praising God. And it's easy to think of angels as a second-story reality. I've never seen them, but they're just as real as the pew that you're sitting in, the pew that I was sitting in 10 minutes ago. And did you know that angels are longing to look into something that I believe has probably happened in every single one of your life? And if it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen today? Multiple times. I hope every day something happens that angels long to look into. You curious? What, what do angels long to look into? The, Bible answer is, the Bible's answer is thanks. First uh, Peter 1.12, even angels long to look into these things. So let's take a quick journey of antecedents through three verses in First Peter chapter 1. I promise to be quick, but don't you want to know what angels long to look into? I do. Peter writes, as to this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing as he, the Holy Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, to the prophets, that they are not serving themselves, but you. And this letter is written to the church, the new covenant people of God. So the prophets were serving the church in everything that they were saying in these things, which now have been announced to you 
through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So zoom in on that last part. These things, which the prophets talked about, have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. And that's the things into which angels long to look. I know that's confusing a little bit, but I'd encourage you to meditate on that passage. Because here's the condensed answer that I, uh, can, I can give you the condensed answer. Here's what angels long to look into. The Holy Spirit telling this good news to you and through you that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. Angels long to look into the ministry of the Spirit, which is telling us the gospel and sharing the gospel through us. That's what the Spirit's doing in the life of believers, according to 1 Peter chapter 1. And the, the gospel is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. And to angels, according to this passage, to angels, that's extraordinary. They're sitting on the edge of their heavenly seats, longing to look into these things. To us, how's that feel? When you're waking up on Wednesday morning to have your quiet time, and you're tired, and you already slept past the first three alarms. Feels ordinary to me. But it's ordinary and it's extraordinary. And that leads us to the third example of ordinary and extraordinary in the Christmas story. That faithful obedience is the union, it's the merger, where ordinary and extraordinary coexist. It's where they both happen. When we are faithfully obedient to God, we're living ordinary lives, nothing special about us, but we're living extraordinary lives. We have relationship with the Most High God, the one true God, the all-powerful God, the all-present God. And we see that in verses 15 through 20. The angels left the shepherds. They're back to ordinary. They're back to their fields, back to their flocks. But the shepherds made a decision. We're all making decisions all the time. The shepherds said, let's go and see this thing that God's told us about. And then when they saw him, they spread the word. If you study 1 Peter chapter 1, they spread the word by the Holy Spirit because that's how the word is spread. And all who heard it were amazed. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So it might have looked kind of ordinary, kind of extraordinary, but it was both. And Mary treasured these things, all these events. They tre she treasured them in her heart. She pondered them. She was encouraged. She was worshipful. That's ordinary and extraordinary. And then the shepherds returned to their fields, right? They went back to do their jobs, their vocations, what they were called to do. But they went back as changed men. They went back worshiping God. So we see ordinary and extraordinary. And we're also men and women who are ordinary, but we're responding to an extraordinary message, an extraordinary revelation from God, especially in the Christmas story. And as the Spirit works in us, we're going to be used like the shepherds were. We're going to be encouraged like Mary was. And we're going to be moved to worship. And ultimately, we'll be changed. Incrementally, in this life, we'll be changed. One degree at a time. And then when we die, we'll be changed forever, perfectly. And the good news can come in extraordinary ways. It's okay to pray for that. It's okay to want that. But don't think if it comes in an extraordinary way to you or to someone else, it's any better. The good news isn't good because of how it comes 
whether it's through the mouth of someone or through a dream or a vision or a miraculous healing, the good news is good because of the one it speaks of. It's good because of Jesus, not the way that it comes. And sometimes, like with Mary and Joseph on the trip to Bethlehem, sometimes we don't see, feel, or understand what God is doing in our lives. But we press on because we know that God's in control and that one day, one day we'll know why God did what he did. It'll be revealed to us. Maybe not in this life, but he's, he's worth it. Following him is worth it and finding out. So I said earlier when I asked you 7.5 billion lives, are they all ordinary, extraordinary? I said you have to define those terms in order to answer those questions. And fortunately, God has defined the terms that we need the most in this life. And so what would God say about ordinary, extraordinary? I think he would say, I'm holy. I am the absolute extraordinary. Meaning, if you look up uh, extraordinary in Google, like I did multiple times this week, it means uh, unusual or remarkable. There is no one more unusual, no one more remarkable than God. His holiness means there is no one else like him. And there are a lot of other people like us, even right now. 7.5 billion. It's hard for me to fathom. But the extraordinary one said that all of our lives are valuable, made in his image. He desires that none should perish. He cares about all of us. And he not only said that, but he backed up those words by becoming one of us. And when he became ordinary, when he became one of us, he did that without giving up or losing any part of his extraordinary nature as God. So he is both ordinary and extraordinary. You say that is contradicting. It's, it's not contradicting, it's a paradox. It seems to conflict, to be self-conflicting, but when investigated, it's found to be true. It's a paradox. And that's the fourth example of ordinary and extraordinary from the Christmas story. We call this the incarnation, meaning God the Son, Jesus Christ, who existed for eternity past, became a man, entered into time and space, and became a human. 100% God, 100% man. And he did not cease to be God at all. I can't explain how that happens. That's above my pay grade and all of your pay grades combined. But we do know why. We do know why that happened. Why did God do that? Why did he become a man? The Bible is full of answers to that question. So let's just look at one from Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of Mary, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what it means that, we're, that he was born under the law is that we broke God's law, and God's a fair judge. He's got to give the right punishment for the offense. And so by becoming one of us, he can actually intercede. He can, he can pay the penalty for us. But only if we follow him will we avoid the penalty of death that we deserve. Life with him is the extraordinary life. He's the giver of all life. And the ordinary and the extraordinary are brought together in the person 
of Christ. It all exists for him. So let's pray. Talk to God about your life. And ask God to help you see and love Jesus in all of your life. He's the king of angels. He's the king of children, of money, of cars, of jobs, of sickness, of family. If there's any two-story separation in your heart, just confess that to him and ask him to change you.